0: This is the InFocus Podcast from The Hindu. Hello and welcome to another edition of the InFocus Podcast. I'm your host, G. Sampath. The anti-corruption watchdog Transparency International has just released the 2021 Corruption Perceptions Index or CPI as it's called. This index ranks 180 countries on their perceived levels of corruption in the public sector. Countries are evaluated on a scale from 0 to 100, where 100 is very clean and 0 is very corrupt. This latest CPI has revealed that globally, corruption remains at high levels, with the average score at 43 out of 100. And out of the 180 countries, 131 have made no progress against corruption. Two-thirds scored below 50, indicating that corruption is a major problem, while 27 slipped to their lowest score ever. Although India's rank improved marginally from 86th to 85th by 1, its score of 40 is even lower than the global average of 43, which seems to indicate that corruption in India is higher than in most other countries. The report also states that driving corruption is an enabler of human rights abuse and authoritarianism. For a better understanding of the Corruption Perception Index, global trends in corruption and what the report has to say specifically about India. We have with us Venkatesh Naik, who is a development sector veteran and has worked on transparency and public audit mechanisms for a long time. He's currently with the Commonwealth Human Rights Initiative. Venkatesh, thank you so much for joining us.
1: Uh, Thank you very much, Sampat, for inviting me for this podcast.
0: Uh, Venkatesh, India's rank uh, has improved one uh place from 86 to 85th out of 180 countries uh, which have been evaluated uh, in this report so is this improvement in rank a positive development however small or is it a reflection of other countries uh, regressing at an even faster rate
1: well if you compare uh, the 2021 ranking with the previous one of 2020 it certainly seems like an improvement by you know one position But if you take a larger picture, let's say I have uh, data here for the last five years, 2017 onwards, if you look at our scores, right now I think our score is 41. In 2020, it was 40, which means it was a lower score. Uh, In 2019, it was back to 41. 2018, it was 41 again. 2017, it was 40. So our scores haven't really changed much. They just keep fluctuating. As far as positions are concerned, we were at 78th position in 2017 and 2018, but uh, we, of course, uh, there we have uh, you know risen again uh, in 2021 to the 85th position, which means higher, you know, your position, the better you're performing. But uh, the problem is that the score hasn't really changed much. So I don't think there is any significant, you know, change in terms of uh, performance as far as, uh, you know, India's uh, action on uh, corruption is concerned. So uh, while the other countries in the region and other parts of the world have certainly regressed, no doubt about that. But the fact that we haven't really significantly improved even in the last five years, that is, you know, cause for concern. I was also looking at the data for 2008. You know, this was uh, three years after the Indian Right to Information Act had come into uh, you know, effect. And uh, our re- ranking had improved by about three or four positions in the overall total. Of course, at that point of time. Transparency International was using a different methodology where the scoring was from 0 to 10, unlike today where it is 0 to 100. So even in 2008, our position was at 85 and our score was somewhere in the range of 3.4 out of 10. So we actually haven't changed much in irrespective of the fact that the methodology has, uh, you know, been revised. Our score has been less than 50% throughout. And that I think is cause for concern. And later on, uh, I'll be uh, sharing some data also with you to express uh, the, you know my concerns about this because there is evidence also which indicates that we aren't doing better uh, than what we were doing on the front of corruption and tackling corruption more than a decade ago.
0: Right. Uh, one of the points uh, which come out uh, repeatedly in this report, especially in this section on India, is that uh, there is an erosion of what it calls voice and accountability uh in terms of uh, this entire context or uh, context of fighting corruption, what does this mean exactly?
1: yeah, I think the India country profile uh which I had helped review you know before it was released uh you know talks about the increasing pressure, oppression, and suppression of dissenting voices, and that is a huge cause for you know, concern. Similarly accountability in the context of demanding action uh, against uh, corrupt officials the corrupt system you know uh, merely raising voice against this has become hugely problematic now the uh, country profile also notes that journalists and activists who uh, expose corruption are at considerable uh, risk to their um, physical well being uh The world press freedom index, which is released by the reporters with, without borders in 2020 It ranks India uh in terms of the in the world press freedom index out of 180 countries We are at 142nd position, but that's certainly not a happy, you know state in which to be and uh, there is uh, of course the world press freedom index refers to the fact that four journalists were killed uh, in India on in the line of duty in 2020, but then there are local reports which said that the number is actually six.
0: Right. Let me stop you right there, uh, Venkatesh, for a second, because uh, we were, talk- we began by talking about corruption and now we are talking about, uh, press freedom. And for some people, this might seem like we're talking about something completely else. So just to clarify. So are we, are we saying that yes, on the one hand, corruption has such as such is increased and that's a problem. And it could mean that there is not enough action being taken against, uh, those who are corrupt. There is not enough action being taken to bring uh, corruption down. That is one problem, a traditional problem. But now what we are talking about is speaking out against corruption or drawing attention to corruption itself has become a big problem because that could put you in danger. Is that, uh, is that a correct uh, way of uh, putting it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I- I'll give you you know uh, the example of uh, the sector in which I myself work, which is uh, the transparency and accountability sector in governance. Now, uh, we have actually documented cases of attacks on RTI activists and even one-time users of right to information. A large number of them have actually used RTI to expose corruption, malgovernance, diversion of funds, theft or pilferage of public resources. And the data is shocking. Since 2010, 96 people have lost their life. They've been murdered for raising their voice, demanding greater transparency and accountability for. Corruption. 177 of them have been assaulted and more than 186 were had as a threatened. Now, these are just, you know, cases that are reported in the English language media because we don't have a way uh, of tracking such reports of attacks on RTI users or those who demand uh, action on corruption, which are reported in the regional language media. But nevertheless, the phenomenon itself is hugely worrying. The most recent example of how anybody who raises a voice against corruption or malgovernance was witnessed in Rajasthan. Sometime around past the 20th, I think around the 23rd of December, there was a news report of uh, an RTI activist called Ambra Godaram, who is a resident of barmer village in Rajasthan. He had exposed illegal liquor trade in his area. He had also used the right to information to expose irregularities uh, in the implementation of development works using public funds in his panchayat. So the reward that he got was he was attacked by six people. They not only abused him, they not only beat him up, they actually drew nails, you know, iron nails into his legs, severely crippling his ability to even stand up. I'm not aware of his current health status, but at that point of time, he was bloodied very badly and he was lying in a hospital, you know, undergoing treatment. Now, this is the way in which the system rewards and we have a national motto. Which Vajayate," which is truth alone for, will triumph. So this gent- is a gentleman who is pointing out that, look, you have an entire mechanism to take care of illegal liquor trade, but that's not working. And I'm giving you a complaint. Developmental works have to be implemented in the panchayats according to certain norms and standards. I am showing evidence from your own files, government's own files to show that there are huge, you know, there's a huge extent and amount of irregularity. And this gentleman is treated in this manner. Similarly, journalists. Now, the reason why I made this connection and even Transparency International makes this connection in the country profile is to show that anybody who speaks today in a voice or using language or expressing thoughts that are not to the liking of the present political dispensation, either at the central level or at the state level, and the ones who are part of the private sector who support. When I say private sector, I'm not talking about trade and commerce. I'm talking about the non governmental, so called civil society sector where you have Voluntary groups, registered societies, trusts, which support these political dispensations, particularly uh, you know in states which are ruled by the right-wing uh, parties. Now those groups attack not only activists but also journalists who speak out against uh, what they think should be criticised uh, about what the government is doing, and this is usually problematic. And there I see this connection very clearly established between corruption in the widest understanding of the term, which is you know something that has gone bad, where there is no rule of law where there is poor governance where there is you know diversion of public resources there is pocketing of uh, you know public money and when you speak out against that you are rewarded with assaults and violence and that i think is hugely problematic because it indicates that there is no space for people to express themselves uh, against such a phenomenon freely and without fear and the system itself is not working in terms of ensuring accountability of those who are involved in such kind of wrongdoings.
0: Right. There is also at the same time, uh, a lot of uh, news reports which come out uh, almost on a daily basis where we see various anti-corruption institutions such as the Enforcement Directorate, the CBI, the Vigilance Commission, etc. They are conducting raids uh, every other day on some uh, business house or some businessman or some somewhere or the other and we seem to see. A lot of action uh, against corrupt practices like money laundering and you know illegal income uh, being amassed and so on so on the one hand you do see a lot of action on the anti-corruption front by various institutional mechanisms but at the same time the report also says that uh, the institutional mechanisms for fighting corruption in india have been deeply uh, weakened and compromised so how do you account for this contradiction
1: yes of course i mean that is the biggest worry that on the one hand uh, you get to see these you know, uh, glaring headlines about the law enforcement agencies, the enforcement directorate, or the CBI or the income tax department, or some other you know state level agency which conducts the raids, unearths in a huge amounts of cash, um, unearths uh, illegal uh, you know wealth that has not been accounted for before the taxpayer, sorry, before the tax authorities, etc., etc. But then they just remain headlines. Maybe if a certain media house is uh, Interested in pursuing a case over a few weeks or a few months, you might get to hear or you might get to read updates about it. But beyond that, it doesn't really go anywhere. And here, I want to show something. Uh, I want to actually point out to some statistics which are uh, collected from government's own reports, which are published year after year. Which I'm quite surprised that the Transparency International report doesn't even take into account, because it seems to be more of a perception-based survey and impressionistic uh, understanding of how the anti-corruption mechanisms are working. But the data, uh, you know, let the data do all this speaking. Let me, you know, share with you, kindly bear with me. I'll take a couple of minutes to explain the trends. In 2018, according to the Crime in India report published by the National Crime Records Bureau, it's a central government agency, they collect a whole lot of data about action taken on crimes from the stage of registration of FIRs to the stage of, you know, the case ending in court, either through in, in the form of conviction or acquittal. So this data is published for a variety of offenses. uh, The same report contains a lot of data about action taken against cases of corruption. So what we have is this. In 2018, 4129 cases of corruption were reported, registered, and they were available for investigation. In 2019, there was a slight increase uh, in the number. It went to 4244. However, in the year 2020, the first year of the pandemic, the uh, number of cases had fallen down to 3100. So, there could be a variety of reasons because the country was under lockdown for a very long periods of time and also most of the government offices were not functioning to full capacity you know, physically. So, perhaps that's one of the reasons why the uh, numbers might have fallen in 2020 as compared to the previous years. But uh, let's leave that aside and let us look at the manner in which the system has acted against these cases. According to government's own data in 2020, you know, for the cases that were registered that year... The pendency, which means that the cases had not reached any kind of conclusion in terms of either acquittal, discharge or convictions. The pendency was 96.1%. So you have barely 3.9% of cases that have actually reached uh, finality in the year 2020. That's hugely problematic. But let's go further. You look at the conviction rates. That is the number of the percentage of cases which reached conviction After charge sheet was filed, which means that the police has investigated these corruption cases, they found evidence for uh, the purpose of conducting trial, and they have been put before the court, and the competent court has conducted the trial. Conviction is 41%. So if you compare it with uh, what we had studied in the year 2016, we had looked at data over a 15-year period from the same sources, 2001 to 2015, what was the conviction rate was 35.33%. So obviously in 2020, the conviction rate is 41%. So it's much higher. So uh, we could could say that we've done a major achievement. However, there is a huge problem in the data itself. And that's now what I'm going to show you uh, you uh, from the 2020 Crime in India report. If you look at the uh, number of persons who were charge-sheeted and how many of them got convicted, the uh, 15-year average that we saw from 2001 to 2015, that was 31.81%. That is out of all, out of let's say 100 people who are charged cheated, about 32 persons were convicted, found guilty of corruption. If you look at the 2020 data, in that one year, the percentage of conviction has fallen down to 13.3%. Now that is abysmal. This is almost like a, uh, you know, it's a 200% decline. is hugely problematic. Acquittals are in the range of 21.73%. Now, what for me is even more surprising is this: out of these people who are convicted, only 30%, only zero, only 30% people end up in jail. They are imprisoned. So, what happens to the rest is a huge question. So, if we look at the number of, uh, you know, the, the, if you look at the proportion of the number of registered cases, the ones where police filed an FIR and which reached conviction, which means the trial court found. Um, that the cases were true and the persons involved in that were guilty of offenses. If you look at the average from 2001 to 2015, the 15-year period, the rate of conviction was 18.94%. Any out of the registered cases out of 100, almost 19 cases ended up in conviction. If you look at 2020, it is 12 cases out of 100. Now this, I think, is hugely problematic. What exactly is happening Your If you look at year on year, uh conviction rates yes 41 percent is pretty good you compare it with conviction rates with you know with regard to offenses of murder murder is in the range of 44 percent kidnapping and abduction conviction is 35.6 percent hurt including acid as attack is 41.9 percent so corruption falls somewhere in that category where proportion of convictions is much higher but when you look at just corruption cases as a subset of the entire set of crime data in india the conviction rates are falling the imprison rates are falling. And this is hugely problematic. What exactly is happening? Unfortunately, the Crime in India report does not talk about the trends in terms of uh, the subjective analysis. But this is something that we simply do not get to hear either from the central government or from the state government doing an analysis of their own data because it's the state crime records bureaus which are giving this data to the National Crime Records Bureau. So it is central government and state government both who are involved in this data collection and presentation in the form of The final report of crime in India every year but there is no discussion on this you don't hear any discussion about this in Parliament that for me is usually problematic and unfortunately the transparency international report does not take this phenomenon into consideration therefore we you know we see this minor bit of change from 40 to 41 our score has improved from 85 to 86 sorry from 86 to 85 our ranking has improved that really is a perception based uh, finding but there is hard data which I have now presented to you and to your listeners that is showing the abysmal performance of the anti-corruption mechanism in India.
0: Right. Once, uh, right. I think it's, it's it's fairly sort of clear that the, the seriousness uh, in terms of prosecuting corruption cases has been on a decline. But if we take a step back from the actual corruption-centric uh, kind of uh, discourse, there is also some uh, something else which is really worrying uh, from the report uh, which we are talking about, which is that it states that the vast majority of human rights abuses in India are enabled via a corrupt environment. Now, we have seen uh, different aspects of uh, corruption and how it can impact and make life difficult for the poor, difficult to access benefit, difficult to access welfare uh, measures. But here we are talking about corruption enabling human rights abuses. I mean, generally at least in the way we journalists cover them, corruption and human rights violations are seen as completely separate issues. Now, can you unpack this apparent linkage between corruption and human rights abuse? Because they seem to be related as per what the report is saying.
1: Yes, of course. Uh, The uh, United Nations human rights mechanism has made this connection between the existence of corruption uh, as a phenomenon which... Results in a range of human rights abuses, human rights violations quite some time. And I'm glad that the uh, latest report uh, of the Transparency International uh, makes this connection uh, not only for India, but for other countries you know, as well. But let me give you some examples of how corruption manifests uh, itself uh, and results into in, in human rights violations. Now, I think the single biggest example of that is something that we witnessed during the first wave of the pandemic in the year 2020 people were dying because of covid you know for a long time vaccines were simply not available treatment was not available so the ones who were lucky who had a good immune system survived and the ones who had comorbidities they were you know perishing faster what did we see on uh, the you know television sets we saw story after story based on investigative journalism, stink journalism which showed that even to cremate or bury these bodies the government owned crematoria or cemeteries were fleecing people above and beyond the regular charges that are payable for disposal of the dead. Sometimes they were 10 times more than the regular charges Uh, they could be even 20 times more than the regular charges. Now this is corruption and it is affecting even the dignity of the person who has died and the family members who want to dispose of the body of their near and dear one take a case of hospitals even without the pandemic today if you go to government hospitals to be able to get good treatment there are stories after stories of how people have to bribe everybody starting from the world boy now if you don't get good medical treatment of course there will be adverse health you know consequences and if you don't have the money to pay, you can simply kiss your uh you know entitlements in the government hospital. goodbye There are n number of stories of how medicines that are supposed to be distributed free of cost in primary health centers poorest of the poor people are compelled to buy them they will not even be given receipts they just have to bribe the uh the compounder or the one who's in charge of the medicines in you know, a store to get those uh you know medicines We just
0: spoke about uh bribery an. i just uh was going through this paragraph where it says uh India has the highest overall bribery rate uh, and the highest rate of citizens using personal connections to get their entitlements, uh, highest in the Asia Pacific region. I mean, how do we, how does this reconcile with the narrative that we are repeatedly uh, fed that uh, more privatization and more uh, more of getting government out of the public sector and with more of digitization of all citizen-state interactions, there will be less and less. Scope of anti-corruption, but is that happening? And if it's not, then how does how does that uh, tally with the narrative that digitization and privatization and getting government out of all these things is going to help uh, bring down corruption?
1: Yeah, it's all a question of which perspective you adopt. If you take the perspective of those who want to digitize almost everything in our economy, in terms of provision of public services, everything looks fine because they said, okay, fine, we have done. You know, so much of digitization money directly goes into the bank accounts of the uh, most deserving people and therefore we've eliminated all other forms, you know, the previous forms of corruption where you had to bribe somebody to, you know, avail those benefits. Now, let me give you some example. Let me illustrate how digitization has actually, uh, it has bred newer and newer ways of corrupt behavior. We give you this example of PM Kisan. Now, we are all aware, I'm sure your uh, listeners are also aware that West Bengal was the last state to implement the PM Kisan Yojana, where 6000 rupees are deposited in the bank account of registered farmers, uh, subject to certain uh, disqualification criteria. Like, if you are a income tax payee, then you are not entitled. If you are a government servant, you're not entitled. If you're a pensioner, you're not entitled. That's a different matter. Anyway. So, in West Bengal, what happened was, and this is a real life story because I have been working with this RTI activist based in Chauvis Pargana district, where he found that a lot of farmers in the village despite being eligible were simply not able to register themselves successfully on the online portal huh now you don't even have to give an application to anybody else you have to just go to the online portal and fill up your form submit your Aadhaar and other you know required documents and you are supposed to be uh you know the, the enrollment is supposed to happen automatically but what was happening here the agriculture department would wait upon the panchayat sarpanch to verify the identity of the applicant and only then would they allow registration to be completed successfully so they try to find out what exactly is happening why aren't we being registered so they went to the panchayat sarpanch the serpent said i don't have the verification form go to the local booth level political leader of the ruling party and he will give you the forms so these people go to that booth level political leader and what he does is, is he says i'll give you the form but please fill up this blank form first so what is this blank sheet of paper that you are asking me to sign on? It's a party membership form. So we will fill this up later for you. So unless you file up this form, you will not get the verification form, which we will, uh, which is required for claiming this, uh, you know, benefit. So this is one way in which corruption happens. Now look at the other way in which the corruption happens, and that's been reported from Rajasthan. During the first wave of the pandemic, the central government launched something called the Pradhan Mantri Garib Kalyan Yojana. Under which, for the period of three months from April to June, about 20 crore women across the country were given 500 rupees each in their Jan Dhan Yojan accounts. The, those accounts, as your uh, listeners would be remembering, they are open for ensuring financial inclusion of these uh, underprivileged segments of society, especially, especially women, to become part of the banking system. So how do you access money from your account? You can either go to the ATM or you can go to the bank branch, where your account is located, where it is, uh, you know, opened, or you go to somebody called a bank mitra, who is called a banking correspondent, and you give your details, you give your uh, thumb impression and all of that so that your radar can be verified, and then you can draw money from there. There are stories after stories, not only from Rajasthan, but from other places also, where women go, withdraw the money through the banking correspondent, and then when they come back later on and check the bank balance, they have withdrawn only 500 rupees, but a thousand rupees have disappeared from their account. There are stories after stories of this. So what has happened is this, that while middlemen, of course, who earlier who were influencing the way in which the poorest of the poor would access these entitlements, which are part of the welfare schemes mooted by the, either by the central or state governments, now, because of digitization, there are innovative ways through which the uh, money is being pilfered. So what is happening is digitization has, of course, tried to resolve some of the earlier problems. But it has created a new set of problems of people and the end result is continued deprivation of the rightful entitlements of people. And this for me is corruption. And unfortunately, we do not have you know, enough evidence that the governments or the administration at different levels are tackling this problem. We simply don't get to hear about it. Right.
0: Uh, we are running out of time, Vinkresh. Uh, Just one final question before we wind up. Uh, one of the trends uh, highlighted in the report is that I quote, even historically high-performing countries uh, are showing signs of decline uh, in terms of their uh, corruption index. And one of the key elements of this decline is the lack of transparency uh, uh, with regard to pandemic management decisions, since, of course, this report covered the previous year. So does this indicate a broader trend towards authoritarianism in both the developed and the developing world?
1: Yes of course I think avid political watchers and academics will be uh, you know able to recognize very you know ably the increase in the tendency of governments to centralize power have greater control over the lives and decisions and choices of citizens during the pandemic and that has been happening since 2020 even now it's continuing I'll not go into the details everybody knows whether it is the mask mandate or the vaccine mandate or uh, the lockouts or who can you know go where how many people can come together of course many of them are absolutely crucial they're essential as far as ensuring public health and safety is concerned however it is undeniable that the authority of the state is increasing it's you know it's becoming all pervasive now in the context of that if you look at the Indian experience we've had huge problems with accessing information about what the government is doing to mitigate the suffering provide health services provide the essential uh, uh, necessities that ensure that people survive uh, with dignity, that is hugely lacking. Whether it be the uh, the kind of support that migrant workers who are hugely distressed, millions of them, you know, how many of them in which district have received support, there is no data available. COVID vaccine purchase agreements entered into with the manufacturing companies, whether they are local or foreign, there is no agreement. So there there is no transparency. Uh, whether it is about um, the uh, clinical trials regarding the efficacy of vaccines at the trial stage data is simply not made public so case or you uh, take a look at the donations that have been made to the PM cares fund who has paid how much how is that money being used there is simply no transparency so increasingly what is happening is on the one hand the authoritarian structures of government at different levels are getting strengthened more and more thanks to the pandemic transparency is taking a beating and automatically accountability also is going to be abysmally low. And that is hugely concerning for us. Actually, the pandemic should have been treated as a situation where the government would take people into confidence more and more, share more and more information with them, be a lot more, uh, you know, honest, sincere and open and win people's confidence. But unfortunately, not only in India or South Asia, but in many other parts of the world, the opposite, uh, you know, the trend seems to be going in the opposite direction. And that is hugely concerning.
0: In fact, in the last 20, 22 months, of the pandemic, as you rightly pointed out, uh, was an opportunity for the government to take people into confidence, uh, to be proactive in terms of sharing all kinds of key information and data that everybody would be keen to know. But what we have seen is uh, more of an impulse towards centralization. And uh, people have found it difficult to access uh, information, to access data. And of course, as uh, we all know, with greater opacity uh, comes less accountability, and less accountability automatically means uh, more of corruption. Uh, thank you so much, Venkatesh, for sharing your thoughts and insights and uh, your field experiences on this uh, issue. A pleasure talking to you.
1: Thank you very much, Sapa.
0: In Focus, we'll be back soon with analysis of the biggest news issues.
1: In the meantime,
0: you can find our podcast on Spotify.